Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Summer in California is the perfect time for outdoor festivals, parties on the patio, road trips, and playing in the park, all while listening to music. So it's the perfect time to take a look at Sacramento's music scene, where it stands and where it's going. The city of Sacramento is putting together a creative economy plan in order to do a better job of boosting its arts and culture scene, and that includes music. Should we look at top music towns like Austin, Nashville, and New Orleans and follow their lead? Or are we doing just fine on our own and creating our own path? We're talking to professional musicians and the people who book and promote them about what's good about Sacramento's music, what could be better, and how we can move it forward. So hi everyone, welcome to California Groundbreakers. We're a civic engagement organization focusing on innovators doing groundbreaking things around the state of California. My name is Vanessa Richardson and I'm the executive director of California Groundbreakers. Uh, the point of uh, the events that we do are basically to have what we call cocktail conversations uh, to find out what's going on around California, uh, ask the people who are doing really innovative stuff uh, about what they do, and to make these topics more relevant and more relatable to you, the audience and the listeners. And we try to make them fun by having uh, great drinks, craft cocktails, uh, local beer. So, um, so that dry and dull topics, for, what, for lack of a better word, um, are really interesting and you get a sense of what they mean to you as a taxpayer, as a citizen, as a resident, as a consumer, um, as someone who lives in California. So tonight, this is obviously not going to be a boring, wonky discussion. We're talking about music, and which most people love in one form and another. And we're really focusing on Sacramento's music scene. And there's a lot of talk about other capital cities in the U.S., like Austin, um, and how that's a state capital known for its music scene. And some people say, well, why don't we follow their lead? You know, why don't we take a page out of their playbook, or Nashville's, or New Orleans? And others say, well, we should just create our own plan. Let's do our own thing. And others say, we're doing just fine the way we are. So I just thought it's summer. Uh, I listened to a lot of great music then. I thought it'd be great to to talk to uh, some of Sacramento's top music makers, promoters, and ask them what what's good about Sacramento's music scene, in your opinion? Uh, what could be better? How can all of us help to move it forward? So before I introduce the panelists, or actually the panelists introduce themselves, I did want to give a few special thanks to people who helped put this event together with me. Uh, first of all, uh, this is the first time we're playing live music. It's not going to be on the podcast, but I did want to give top uh, top bill to Todd Morgan uh, from Todd Morgan and the Emblems for playing uh, the opening set. And then afterwards, thank you, Todd. And then afterwards, we have Dirty Chops Brass Band and I guess a few members of Element Brass Band playing um, after the event. So... Um, want to highlight some local musicians and how great they are. I also want to thank Barbara Morgan and Jose Ortiz, my music bookers, for helping put the music together. Also, we're holding the event here at the Clara Auditorium in Mid -Sacra Midtown Sacramento. So I want to thank um, Mer Megan Weigand and Jay Swanson of Clara for uh, helping put this event on. 
For the local cocktails that I mentioned, I want to thank J.E. Pano of Roostaller Beer, Ryan Sang, and Mike Rains of Can Can Cocktails. They provided the drinks. I want to thank my volunteers extraordinaire who are checking people in and serving drinks and filming uh, the music, Nicole Grant-Krieg, Rod Ramirez, Trina Lee, and Zach Miller. Special thanks, of course, to the panelists. You guys are very busy, so thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come talk with us. And of course, last but not least, to the audience for showing up. So for those listening to the podcast, it's going to be about 30 minutes of moderated Q&A, and then it'll be the other half of the event will be audience Q&A at the mic. So I do not, men I do not introduce the panelists. I let them introduce themselves best, since they know, they know more than I do what, they're, what they do, obviously. Um, but I always like to ask a personal question, too, so we know a little more about you besides the role. So uh, for each person, I want to ask you obviously your name, uh, your current role or business that you run. And for a personal note, this is for, just for my selfish reasons. I'm going on a road trip next month. I need a summer soundtrack. So I figure since you are uh, music aficionados, I could get an idea of uh, like your favorite best summer ever song, local, a local band or whatever, um, a song that reminds you of the best summer you ever had whenever you hear that song. So I'm gonna start with the gentleman on my left. Name, title, and best summer ever song. Uh, great, good morning. Uh, good it's evening. actually six o'clock. It's evening, it's evening. I just, got off, I just got off a plane. Um, okay, so I'm Jonathan Gless. I'm the Director of Cultural and Creative Economy for the City of Sacramento. Um, my song is actually a little weird, but I'll give it context. Um, my father was a musician, and um, specifically in jazz, and our favorite family song was Satin Doll. So that's how we started every road trip in the summer. Satin Doll. Yep. Any, any particular uh, band or musician that plays that that you prefer? I mean, besides your dad or? Stan Cutton. All right. Great, thank you. Hello, my name is Byron Colborn, and uh, I'm a musician, teacher, band leader, artist here local in Sacramento. And uh, my summer song, I didn't really think on it too much, but one that uh, comes to mind would be John Coltrane's After the Rain. And uh, it's a really peaceful, mellow song, but after the rain, we get all this summer heat. So that's a song that I really love and uh, kind of reminds me of the summertime and springtime as well. Uh, good evening. My name is Scott Lane. I'm the chief talent buyer and presenter for SPL Entertainment, promoting local uh, national concerts here locally in Sacramento. And I really hope that guy's iPad didn't break. Uh. <laughs> it looks and good I, from here. And I hadn't really thought about it either, but kind of thinking about, thinking about summer songs on the fly. Uh, my favorite summer song is probably uh, Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. All right, so I already had a good, a good mix so far. All right, next up. Hello, my name is uh, Gabrielle Garcia. Me and my husband own the Blue Lamp uh, in Sacramento, Alhambra and N Street, uh, right on the edge of Midtown and East Sac. Um, I've had many summers, so I have many favorite summer songs, but for a road trip, you can't road trip without Chuck Berry's greatest hits. Good evening, my name is Paul Willis. 
I'm a hip hop artist. Uh, you know, my values are really centered around hip hop, education, social justice, and building community. Um, my summer playlist is probably a lot different than yours, but if I'm recommending music for you to listen to, um, Good Music is a music label uh, kind of owned and operated by Kanye, and they just dropped a ton of amazing music um, in the month of July. Kanye's album was trash. Don't listen to that. Okay. But, <laughs> But uh, he, he did a collaboration with Kid Cudi, and it's called uh, Kids See Ghosts, and I recommend that entire album. Um, it's an eclectic kind of uh, grouping of, of songs, and I think you, you like it a lot, so Kids See Ghosts. Thank you, Paul. Last but not least. Uh, my name is Danielle Vincent, and I'm the founder of a local music festival called First Festival, and then also uh, an online music calendar called Show Up Sacramento. And um, if I'm going to suggest a song for you, it's a song literally called The Summer, and it's by a local artist named Kennedy Rose, uh, featuring another artist named Jabril. But uh, it's, I think the line in it is just like, the summer's going to be ours because we're putting in work. And I love that song so much that I bought it. So I paid him so I could use the rights for, um, for First Festival. So I can use that song when talking about, yeah, <laughs> I suggest it. You can find him on like SoundCloud or whatever. All right, thank you. And I get a sense that, yeah, we got a nice wide range of songs, a nice wide range of music playing in Sacramento. That's what I thought. So, all right, I'm gonna program them into my, uh, into my iPhone. Um, all right, so I have a question for each panelist here, and I thought I would stop, start with Scott, right in the middle there, because uh, when I was reading up on you, it seemed like you have done, you have so many roles in music. I guess starting from a young kid, your dad worked at the Music Circus and the Community Center Theater. You helped him with the sets, and you got to listen backstage. You were a musician. You managed the band, um, and now you book nationally known artists, right? The Crest they're at. Uh, the Harris Theater in Folsom, Sophia, the new one. So it sounds like you have a lot of experience. So I guess my first question for you was, <laughs> with all those years of experience and, and being here in Sacramento, what do you see as Sacramento's musical taste overall? And how has that changed, if it has, over the years? Have you seen anything change along the way? Um, I mean, I, I think that I can only speak for myself in, in different uh, periods of my li of my life, my taste has changed so gradually. As I've gotten older, the groups of people that I spend time with, their tastes have changed. But overall, Sacramento has different pockets of fans for different all kinds of different types of music, and I think that would go for any metropolitan city. Um, <coughs> but I think over the years, the, the city has done a better job of embracing arts and music, and the city's population has, has embraced it more so than I would say in the past five to 10 years. It, it, you know, we've been able to grow from doing 50, club-sized shows to doing 250 shows between all the different venues that we book locally plus other venues outside of Sacramento and 
I think what that says to me is that more people are, even though live music is competing with things that it never competed with before, you know, the biggest competitor that I see is not another show or another event. It's the screen that you all hold in your hand. Everybody, everybody's time and attention is is being competed for, and and things like Facebook and Google are the things that get get the general the general population's attention more than one event versus the other. Um, I think it's amazing how we have different size venues throughout the city, which is really wonderful. We didn't always have that. Um, the one thing that we're missing, in my mind, is we're missing about a 1,200 to 1,500 seat um, seated theater, seated PAC, because right now we go from the Crest Theater at 1,000 seats to the community theater at 2,300 seats, and the 20 and the community theater is drastically more expensive because is it it's a union hall, and uh, despite many many pleas with the city of Sacramento to negotiate better a better deal with the local 50 union, it's not been able to happen. So there aren't as many shows that come through the bigger venues that are run by the city here in Sacramento. And then I guess uh, some of them are going to be renovated or revamped. Correct. That would, okay. All right. Uh, so Danielle is another uh, music promoter and festival uh, 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 founder. I, I, I wanted to have you on the panel because I was following you and your journey uh, through Sacramento News and Review articles. Uh, the first the first festival, uh, and then the second festival was a different story. The third one was a rebounder, and the fourth one that just happened in May, I think you did get funding from the city through the Creative Economy Grant. So I wanted, it, and I get a taste now as an event planner, uh, how things work, there's so many moving parts. So uh, I just wanted to ask you briefly, like, um, how has each of the four festivals that you have put on been different from each other since you started? And what does all that experience you've gained mean for first festival number five? So, yeah, being a, uh, an event, a music event planner in Sacramento, how has that been <laughs> for you? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into uh, producing an event, especially one of the size of first festival. But I, I suppose every year a new lesson emerges. And I, I, I say that as a, very, as a very positive thing because if you can't pull a very solid lesson out of something you're doing, then there's no room for growth. So I think that's really important. But I mean, the first year went up and it was just this like flash of success and hindsight, so much blind luck that really, and it was new and kind of this exciting. And um, this, the second year, uh, just Google First Festival and you'll learn. 2016. <laughs> but um, the biggest lesson that came out of that year is really that um, every 
part of that festival has to be in it 100 percent the the musicians that are booked have to work their butts off to promo it uh, we had to do different kinds of promo um, it in order for an event of that caliber that's all local music to survive, you have to reach outside of the local music base and you have to get the general public on board. And f realizing that, it became a new, a new challenge and figuring that out. And so we spent a long year, a very long year working between 2016 and 2017 to figure out how to leverage not just the core music supporters and the core music community, but the actual the the customer base the you know you have to sell this product and that's really what it ends up being at the end of the day and um 2017 was so beautiful and it really everybody worked their butts off to make that event a huge success and then we were able to get one of the larger creative economy grants for this year the event was massive um the park it was in could have held 40,000 people it did not hold 40,000 people. Um, it held about 3,500 over the weekend, but what happened was a new lesson, and half the tickets we sold in pre-sale weren't redeemed, and that's because the same weekend, Lauren Hill came through Sacramento for another music festival, and it became very clear to me that if you're not in the core local music scene, you're going to choose Lauren Hill over local music. And that is not to say that that's a bad decision for anybody to make. I, I would have probably made that decision and I literally have a local music festival. So I think um, the lesson this year is if it goes up again for a fifth year, it will be after a leap year. It, it can't go up. I, I need time to restructure it. So I don't know if that's shocking to everyone, but I, I you mean a leap year like, uh, like 2020? The, yeah, 2020. Oh, okay. So um, just some time to reevaluate the structure and figure out if there's this new animal that comes in that says, you know, we, we can't compete with, maybe this is too much information for this one question. Well, I, I, I was going to ask like if with for first festival number five, I guess what would you do differently if anything or... And it sounds like it would take a more time to, I th in between I th four and five. I think it takes um, reevaluating the structure and being competitive on a national level. And that likely means that there's members in the top build spots that aren't necessarily from our local music scene. And I think that that is what it takes to sell the product to the community at large, is maybe diversifying it in that way. And so, and I think you can still maintain the integrity of an all-local music festival with a nationally touring headliner. Okay. And Gabby, for you, you and your husband Ben run Blue Lamp, which I'll, I'll tell you is the first time I saw a local show when I was 16, I think, uh, way back, back in the day. So, well, not, yes, I, that was the first <laughs> time I used my... No disclaimer, she was not 16 at the Blue Lamp. We were 21 well, and I was, over, yeah, only I was, club. I was 22 uh, officially, so, yes. <laughs> you and Gabby and Ben were not running it, so. But, uh, but it's, <laughs> I had a good time, and, and I got home safe, and I had fun. And I, uh, but yeah, I thought the Blue Lamp has been around for so long, and it seems like it's it's one of those stages where you have such a variety of, of music, and you do a lot of local, a lot of uh, focus on local music. And um, 
I was just wondering, I guess a similar question uh, for Danielle. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, it's been four years or so since you uh, took over Blue Lamp, and um, I was wondering if anything's changed in terms of how you run the club or how you book the acts, and have you seen any difference in the audience that shows up since, you know, four years in Sacramento also has brought a lot of change to the city and the people who come. Um, so a difference in the audience that show up or the appreciation for the shows you put on. So what have you seen in the past four years, basically? Well, basically, we do what Danielle did every day for a living. <laughs> So um, there's a lot of trials and tribulations that go along with that. Overall, business-wise, it's been fairly consistent over the past four years uh, per the numbers. I do see a difference in what's happening in Sacramento. When we first took over in 2013, we were begging even our friends' bands to play in Sacramento. And we were getting responses like, skip Sacramento, play Reading." I was like, no, wait, what? So um, there's been a lot of people in Sacramento over the past five years really promoting the music and arts culture within our community, and I've seen that change drastically over the last five years. Sacramento is a fickle city, so people will say, nobody goes out on a Monday night, but you bring the right band to town, I'm sure. Scott can testify that you bring the right band to town, and you have a sold-out Monday night. So once Sacramento does embrace your art or music, it will love you forever. But getting the new um, bands, the exposure in Sacramento is a lot more difficult um, to get people out. So, but I am seeing a difference with bands skipping the Bay Area because the traffic is too much, there's nowhere to park, their van gets broken into, hotels are expensive. So let's skip the Bay and just go straight to Sacramento. And that has a lot to do with, um, you know, venues and people within Sacramento. I mean, the Starlight Lounge, the Press Club, Holy Diver, Ace of Spades, Scott, Brian McKenna, Abstract Entertainment, Sean Hills, Punch and Pie, Promotions, ZFG on the streets every day almost, it seems like, out here um, spreading the word. So I think live music skipped a generation between my age and the newer, younger people because of this device that we all carry in our hands. But I really am starting to see the younger generation want to go back to their roots of where it all came from and put the, put the device down and, and get out in the community. Um, so we've been very lucky to be able to help um, promote that in Sacramento. And as a stage, we do all types of music. Um, Sacramento has a pretty big divide with uh, arts and, and people of color. So um, sac uh, Blue Lamp for Sacramento has absolutely tried to be a stage, an all-inclusive stage for everybody. So um, we have had to put up with some, some things and have had some growing pains and some neighbor issues as the houses around us rise in price and become more affluent of people in the neighborhood um, leads to more noise complaints and um, not so many people wanting the nightlife activity in the neighborhood. So uh, that is something that we battle constantly. We have a good working relationship with the city um, and try to keep everything within the parameters and make everyone happy and be good neighbors as well as hold on to our, our business and um, give these kids a place to perform their arts.
Great. And so speaking musicians, I had two, the next two questions I have are for the musicians on the panel. I'm going to start with you, Byron, because it sounds like you, you're a working full-time musician, which I think a lot of musicians aspire to, to do it full-time and make a living. So I'm wondering if you are. Uh, yes. <laughs> Congrats. Thank you. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, um, does it mean that you can make, can you make a living doing what you love here? Is that possible based on your experience? And if, as a musician in Sacramento, what are the pros of being a musician here? What are the cons of being a musician here in Sacramento? Okay, well, yeah, thanks very much for having me. This is a really cool opportunity, and it's really interesting to hear everybody's responses. Um, I would say, yes, I'm making a living. Probably a, a better way to put it would be making a survival. Um, I've been here since 2010. I grew up in Davis, California. I went to college for a long time in Sacramento before going to school in Boston uh, at Berklee College of Music, and I came back here. And um, when I first came back, I was pretty jaded on Sacramento, having grown up here and just not really being that involved and just kind of thinking of it as small time. And I've been in Boston. It was this pretty vibrant city with lots and lots and lots of musicians and places to play. And I came back and I was like, oh, this is no good. Why am I here? And this and that. After a while, uh, I started living with my buddy uh, Anthony Coleman back then, who's uh, one of the biggest musicians I've seen come out of Sacramento. And he kind of kicked me in the butt a little bit to get out there and start one, to play with him and to start playing with more people and uh, also to do my own projects. And so that's what I really started learning back in the day was to create my own opportunities for myself. And um, now I'm uh, excited to be leading several bands, um, one being the Element Brass Band. We play New Orleans Second Line Music, which uh, Anthony and uh, our buddy Ryan Robertson started that band up and the kind of uh, passed the torch to me later on when they moved out of town to lead the band. Um, I lead a variety of small groups and combos with vocalists and other horn players, sometimes just a duo or a trio. We play pretty often now and I also uh, just started my 17-piece big band. Uh, we rehearsed for 15 months before we got our first opportunity and that opportunity was for me to rent a hall just because I was tired of uh, rehearsing. We wanted to get the band out there. So yeah, I would say it's a 24-7 hustle. You gotta really grind, you gotta really want it, you gotta love it. Um, but I've been fortunate to see my own opportunities grow and to see the music scene here in Sacramento grow over the years. Um, I would say for myself speaking, you know, uh, each year it's gotten a little better in terms of the opportunities, how often I work. Um, who I work with always seems to grow. Um, the amount that we get paid slowly grows. But yeah, it's definitely not a, a lucrative living by any means. Uh, it's definitely grinding it out, you know. Um, there's a lot of, I would say, unpaid legwork is kind of the story of my life. Um, could be anywhere from like 2 to 12 hours a day. Um, Hustling, studying, practicing, booking, uh, organizing, writing, transcribing, just the list goes on and on and on. Um, it's this kind of feeling of always working and always being behind, and you kind of just have to embrace that. There's always going to be a mile-long to-do list of what you need to get done. Um, in regards to the pros and cons of the city, 
I try to keep a positive attitude. I've grown a lot in that. When I, like I was saying, when I first came here, I was kind of like, oh, woe is me. This is no good. And after a while, I've uh, really put in a lot of effort into it and had a lot of people support me along the way that are very like-minded. Um, so that's kind of the pros of it is just, you know, what you put in, you are going to get out, even though this scene continues to grow. There's a lot of opportunities here, and there's a lot of amazing talent. Um, I try to not look at things like cons, but, um, you know, not have a negative attitude on it. But there are a lot of things that still can improve out here, and you kind of have to accept that it is a smaller scene. Um, I think one of the things that's uh, good about Sacramento now more so than in the past is there's more musicians and artists and people sticking around here. Kind of the name of the game back in the day was, oh, you, you go to high school or you go to college and then get out of Sacramento. Now it's your time to go be somebody. And I think it's great that people are sticking around here. You know, I think that uh, that's a testament to the growth of the city. And um, so I don't know if cons is the right way to put it, but you got to kind of accept the scene for what it is. And um, it really, truly is what we make it here in Sacramento. And then for the <clears throat> other musician, Paul, who I should give a shout out to because on our website for California Groundbreakers, he is, uh, the back of his head is uh, on our main photo. And I think there's another one of you. So I don't know if I should pay you royalties, but yeah, you were at our first no, event. No, no royalties needed. You were at our first good. event. And actually, Andrew Defy was on our first panel. So thank you for showing up. So yeah, to your anniversary. So Paul, similar question for you that I asked Byron. Um, <clears throat> I guess the pros and cons of your, whatever, being experienced as a musician here in Sacramento, as well as a, an activist and an educator. One thing, you know, researching the, the topic of music in Sacramento, the the SAC News and Review did an, an article on a similar topic fairly recently, you know, talked with Danielle about First Festival and with you too. And I thought there was an interesting quote here that you said about uh, the stigma that Sacramento hates hip hop. There's some validity to that. And you mentioned there's a lack of venues for hip hop artists, a lack of attention they get. So I guess in your experience, I guess pros and cons of being a musician here in Sacramento from your point of view, and then also how you involve you know, education and activism uh, in that career as a musician, how that's working out. Because Sacramento is considered a multicultural city, but it sounds like there's still challenges. So your point of view um, as an activist, educator, musician. Sacramento's really racist. Um, I, yeah, I'll just double down. Like multicultural is like one way to, to describe it. Um, but I think that that term kind of, um, I think the connotation with that term is that like everything is kosher, uh, people are getting along, we're super inclusive, and we're really not. Uh, as a black artist in a city, and like I grew up in Boston, right? So uh, coming from another racist town, uh, where the neighborhoods were divided, not just by economics, uh, but by race intentionally. Um, and seeing some of those similarities here, uh, it's, it's not really disheartening for me anymore. Um, it's come to be like one of those facts of life that uh, I, I've learned to kind of challenge myself and, and work with others to kind of break down a lot of those barriers. And that's where a lot of my work um, as a musician who, who's also active in education and youth development spaces, uh, just providing opportunities for young artists, particularly young artists of color, uh, to just 
share their story, um, create art in safe spaces that uh, are, are welcoming to them, um, and then connecting them with other artists and then venues in town that uh, would be open to kind of sharing that experience. Uh, a couple of years ago when we started ZFG, um, you know, the, the goal was, you know, around like raising the, the level of performance art in the city. Right, uh, we, we had an 80 person open mic over at Soul Collective, which is a community center that's focused on arts, culture, uh, and, and activism here in the city. Uh, so we had an 80 person open mic and we were, it, it kind of like outgrew that space. So we were kind of shopping it around town. Um, and there were places that straight up told us, oh, oh you're doing hip hop? Like you're, you're inviting hip hop artists? No, we don't do those kinds of open mics. We only do acoustic open mics. So then we would show up to venues and we wouldn't tell them that we were bringing 60, 70. We had uh, 150 people at La Garnacha, 200 people on the porch at Lowbrow uh, for an open mic. And it was rappers, singers, poets, you name it. People just bringing out their instruments and, and getting down um, and really kind of showcasing the, the type of diverse talent that exists here in the city. Um, but I think that there's still a huge barrier um, particularly for hip hop artists um, in the city to, to kind of step into a lot of venues that um, really don't understand what the culture is. They don't understand how to be selective with their artists. There have been several venues in town that have tried to shut down hip hop acts um, after some fight or a, a stabbing or a shooting or something like that will happen. Um, and that's not like outside of the norm for like, Venues, like that kind of stuff happens all over the country and it doesn't just happen at hip hop venues, it happens at just music venues or whenever you have large gatherings of people, that issue of like public safety is one of those high priorities. Um, but for a venue to say, nah, we're not gonna do hip hop and you're one of the bigger venues in town, that's not acceptable. So um, those are the kind of barriers that we're dealing with. Uh, luckily, I, I surround myself with super positive people, some of the people on this panel, some of the people who are out here in the audience uh, who are working to kind of change that culture here in the city uh, by really just putting the spotlight back on the artists and what their message is and how they're pushing. And that's how I think that you've been able to see uh, some of the growth of some artists in, like Hobo Johnson or the Philharmonic. Uh, you see somebody like Spacewalker um, who wouldn't sell out a, a venue kind of on our own, but because we've been doing all of these kind of street corner pop-ups and people have really gotten a chance to uh, learn about these artists and, and their message and what they're about as people, um, they're now selling out shows, not just here in the city or playing big festivals here in the city, uh, they're touring around the world and selling out shows around the world. So um, there's a lot of talent here. That's what's amazing about Sacramento. And because the scene is small, like Byron uh, kind of shared a little bit about earlier, it's super easy to connect with people on a really personal level. Um, and coming from a city like Boston, where a lot of the, uh, a lot of the scene is already established, right? So kind of building those relationships and building those connections, it's a little bit harder uh, in some of those larger cities. Uh, but in a city like Sacramento, I've only been here for about six years. Um, and just getting a chance to kind of become ingrained in the scene here uh, has been an amazing experience. And my focus is really just on how can I continue to open the doors uh, for young people, for young artists of color to continue to do their thing and shine, so. Great. So Jonathan, I saved you for last. <laughs> uh, 
I guess as the city of Sacramento representative, I, I ha have a sense that you have, you, you've had a lot of meetings for the creative economy efforts that the city's putting on. You probably have heard a lot of this. You've talked to a lot of um, people on this panel about the discussion. So I thought it was interesting because, you know, a creative economy in the city, music is involved. And I think a lot of us remember Mayor Steinberg last, last year at this time, um, was talking about creative economy and busking, you know, street performances, easing up the rules, and then there's the plan in place to, to do more with music, uh, making it part of the creative economy. So I was wondering what you can tell us, you know, that you're allowed to tell us about, um, you know, emphasizing the music scene here in Sacramento, making it a part of the creative economy. What are plans? Um, and I guess part two of that question is, what's already here in place? in Sacramento in terms of the music scene that, that works and be built on? And um, what what do you think could be brought in, I guess, from elsewhere or or could be built up even more uh, to be part of the, the music scene and, and, and boost the city's profile overall? I know it's a big question, but yeah. yeah. that is. That's Future plans for the music scene and the city's role in helping. So a uh, couple things. Firstly is we're about done with the city's cultural plan, Creative Edge, that goes to city council on uh, next Tuesday, the 3rd. Uh, so that's been a great success. Lots of, of folks in this room have participated in all different ways. That's not a creative economy study. So that's the big umbrella study for arts, culture, creative economy in the city. One of the first things that's gonna happen coming out of that is a really deep dive into the creative economy. So it'll be just focused on what you all do on a daily basis, what kind of tools you need, what kind of resources are here, um, obvious deficits, but also just a really, really thoughtful assessment of what are the um, strengths of the creative industries here already, where we can position ourselves regionally and nationally, um, and what are those areas that we just don't want to invest in? And so that's going to be um, another, it's not going to be drawn out by like Creative Edge, but it's going to be a, another round of assessment that's really just going to be focused on you guys. Um, so that's the good news. Um, I should say something about busking. Um, apparently before I was here, there was a lot of chatter about busking. Uh, so the bottom line is, it is in fact, it is completely legal. Um, busking is, uh, can take place uh, any place in the city um, with some obvious exceptions if it's posted. However, there is a noise ordinance. So the noise ordinance determines what can't happen and when. And the big criteria is um, drumming. So the, the easy thing is go busk. It's great. The city encourages it. Um, however, the city, the city supports it. However, the city at this point is not making any kind of, like San Francisco and New Orleans, they package it, they promote it, they do all of that kind of stuff. We're not in that place yet, 
but it's completely and totally legal. So that's a good thing about busking. Um, what else should I say? I guess I have a question about that. I guess the police department is the one that enforces the noise ordinance. So is there like a communication between the police department and the city in terms of yeah. telling everyone here's how it works and uh, making sure everyone's on the same page about that? Yeah, we're working really hard with the police department, um, permitting um, uh, convention and cultural services and the police department are working really hard to make sure that the messaging is consistent from the police, um, that their job is to make sure that um, the artists who are doing their work um, actually have a safe space. Um, uh, you know, if it's a situation where there's um, a large crowd and maybe the buskers are taking a big space up and so it's about um, crowd security or access egress, something like that. Obviously, the police respectfully need to be involved. Um, but um, there's a lot more consistent conversation right now between uh, staff from the various departments, especially permitting and CCS and the police department. So we feel like we're doing they're they're doing a lot better. If you hear anything, please. Um, a lot of you in this room know how to find me. Please call me and let me know, and we'll be on it. Okay. Um, Can I talk about something fun yes. instead of busking? Okay, thank you. Um, so, <laughs> no, busking is fun. Besides busking. The, the policy side besides is besides not fun. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I, I had a question. Actually, I'm going to ask a question, but I'd like to encourage people to stand up at the mic and, and line up and, and get your questions, too. So while I ask my question, whoever wants to be the first up at the mic, uh, I'll, I'll buy their first drink. Okay. So uh, I, I wanted to actually combine two questions about audience um, because I noticed I was looking at my uh, music performance attendance over the last year. Uh, I went to a few shows at Golden One. I went to one show at uh, Ace of Spades after Live Nation bought it. I think English Beat. I can't remember. It was, yeah, I sometimes, uh, I, I went to a lot of shows, but I noticed I went to a lot of national shows. I went to a Hobo Johnson show. So I thought, well, you know, I thought I had gone to more local shows, but it turns out I went to more national shows. And I was talking with someone when I was putting on this panel who said, yeah, um, uh, some promoters uh, are looking at the national names that come in because that's what sells. Local is still, you know, they're not doing as much to emphasize the local scene, but you know, maybe it's what the audience wants. So I guess my question would be is for you all, what brings people out in Sacramento to see shows? You know, um, is it a, is it the big bands? No, big name is no problem. If it's a local band, do you have to look at the ticket sale, the price point, right? Um, or the certain day? What, what gets people out in your opinion to see a show? Um, if it's a local band, um, what do you need? What do you need to work really hard to sell? Um, yeah, I'm just curious about that. Paul, you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, about a year ago, a buddy of mine and I, uh, we started up So Far Sounds, a uh, chapter of that here in Sacramento. 
and that's a global music community uh, that throws like secret shows all over the world in over 400 cities. Um, and, and part of the allure to those shows is you actually don't know where the show is until like a day before. Wasn't the last one at Canon yeah. uh, a couple uh -huh. days ago? Okay, mm -hmm. Canon and, um, and you don't know who's on the bill. So like people would come out just for the live music experience. Um, I, don't, I don't think that uh, necessarily like national uh, headliner versus local acts. I think it's um, kind of figuring out where, where's the balance, right? Um, you know, the, the, we need the big acts to come through. We, we need those big shows, but we also need, um, you know, kind of the smaller, more intimate venues as well. Um, and uh, when you were talking about that mid-size venue too, we, we need all of those kind of stages to accommodate for the numerous uh, talented and diverse acts that we have here in the city. So um, I think it's a variety of things. I think that you can get caught up on a night where, you know, maybe Lauren Hill's in town with the Cannabis Cup and everybody's going to that. Or, um, you know, if it's a Monday night, you know, we've sold out shows, so far shows on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, you know, middle of the week type shows. Um, so, you know, I, I've seen that, like, we really just need a balance. Um, and not overemphasize the importance of one or the other. And I think that as we continue to kind of cultivate this local scene, uh, you'll see a lot of the smaller shows will grow. Those artists who are performing those smaller shows are kind of cutting their teeth right now, and they'll be ready for those larger stages in about a year or so. Okay, and on a side note, so far Sacramento, you can find it online and sign up. It's like... Yep. The, okay. best, the best way is to download the app, the So Far Sounds okay. app. All right. Uh, Byron? Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more with Paul on that. And also, Danielle was talking about that earlier in terms of having you know a, a national act headlining a local festival. And I would really like to see Sacramento do more things like this. There are so many talented local bands and artists that are just, you know, for lack of a better word, just grinding it out. You know, they're here day after day, year after year, doing their thing, and. Um, I would love to see more uh, up-and-coming local bands opening for the national artists. A lot of these people are saving up their bread, and they, they've got bread already, or, you know, okay, I'm going to go see something at the Golden One. Why not have one of the biggest acts in Sacramento local opening up for that uh, artist at the Golden One? It could even be three, five tunes, you know? It doesn't need to be a big hour thing. They may not even be what they're coming for. Just stick it to them, give it to them, be like, oh, wow, I didn't know anything about this artist. This is amazing. I'm so glad I checked that out. Because a lot of those people are not going to go and check that out if that's what you're spoon feeding to them. Hey, come and check out so-and-so. Uh, no, nah, I'm going to go check out this number one best-selling artist. Okay, give it to them, you know, pepper it in there wherever you can. I think uh, I would love to see so much more of that. We have the venues now. We have Golden One Center. We have B Street Theater and Crest Theater and... We have first festival and some big time things happening in Sacramento, but we really, as a city, tend to keep the local artists struggling, for lack of a better word. You know, we we like them, we appreciate them, but as a city, we need to help those artists to lift them up and shine. All right. Um I'm going to put Scott on the spot for a second because I think there was someone who asked me to ask you this question that Byron just brought up about can we have, if you, if you book national acts, can you have, you know, bring some local bands up? Is there, 
what's the issue with that? Can you do that, or, or is so, it an issue? I, this is a question that I answer a lot more often than I'd like. But, um, but generally, it's not really up to the venue or the promoter who opens the show. It really is not. It really has to do with um, the, the, the act that's touring. You know, I'd say about eight times out of ten, the National Touring Act is carrying someone with them. Sometimes they're carrying them because they're label mates or they're friends or, yeah. <coughs> or they're buy-ons. That's a new thing, which I don't really like either. What's a buy-on? <coughs> a buy-on means that <coughs> this smaller opening act that you've never heard of before is playing in front of an arena-sized crowd because they paid for the privilege. Paid, literally pay to play. Now, I, yeah, and that happens on the tour level, not on the promoter level. The promoter has no, the, or, or the venue have nothing to do with who buys on and who doesn't buy on and who opens and who doesn't open. Now, there are some venues that are able to push getting locals onto shows. Ace of Spades is one of them that, you know, they probably, as far as local artists opening for national acts, they are probably able to do it a lot more so than someone like me because, like I said, nine times out of ten, when I book a headliner, they bring somebody with them that I've never heard of before, and it's just part of the package. It's not anything that we can do, and it's not, it's not something... It's something that I have fought against, but it's not any. It's not a battle I'm going to ever win. So, Daniel, did you want to say something about that? I thought I saw your mic. <laughs> I don't know if it directly relates to what um, he was saying, but you mentioned: Do you have to look at ticket price when you're thinking about booking a local act? And one of the biggest things that gets said to me about First Festival, the most thing I I hear this all the time it's written in every article it's a caveat on everything is why isn't first festival free and when I hear that I actually hear why do we have to pay for local artists and musicians that is that is what that question means and I think you should have to pay for our local artists and musicians and when we you know spend a lot of money on nationally touring acts you're buying that that brand, but that doesn't mean that our local artists and musicians aren't worth a ticket price too. So I think that's something um, maybe reconsidering that kind of question. And we've we've kind of trained up our community in a lot of ways to think that our local artists and musicians should come without a price. And um, there's a lot of great things in this community that have trained our community members to also think that. And uh, I think we need to reevaluate that kind of thing and say there's value here and um, not just intrinsic value in the artistry that these people bring to the table, but also in the experience. So uh, that's just what I want to what I want to add to that part of it. Yeah. And I just want to add on to that, too. Like when you look at Austin um, and like South by Southwest as a great example, people are paying anywhere between eight hundred dollars to fourteen hundred dollars just for registration to get in to the event. That's not your hotel, flight, or food while you're there. People are paying that much 
just to like go. So when we're asking for 40 bucks for all local music festival, that's a couple of days. That's not a heavy lift. When people want to spend $200 on a Jay-Z or Beyonce ticket, they'll do it without thinking about it, but then they won't spend the same amount for local artists. I don't, I don't know that you can use South by Southwest as a comparison because most of the artists who are playing South by Southwest are national touring acts. Jonathan, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, just a couple of thoughts about um, artists, and I really appreciate what you said about not supporting local artists and, and not wanting to pay local artists. Um, the same conversation is going on with visual artists. Um, there's this sense that um, if they're local, that the value of their work isn't as high, and there isn't as much collecting going on with the, inside the visual arts community. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, one of the biggest things that came out of the cultural planning process is um, that the community really, really respects um, having an artist's community here and um, wants to invest in artists. And we're going to see more... <clears throat> we're going to see more of the public funding that is now available exclusively to institutions being made available to individual artists because it's very clear that that you all in this room really have not had access to the same kind of public resources that the others have. And is that something that will be discussed July 2nd or July 3rd July next week? July 3rd. Okay. Yeah, so it's when it gets approved. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But you guys are the heart and soul of the arts community here. So there needs to be investment in what's happening every day in, in the music community. So let's take our first question at the mic. Okay. Well, it seems like one of the problems, of course, we had and brought up is a couple of them, and I might have others. I'm going to let others speak before I do it again. So uh, one of them is, of course, uh, the parking and access issue. And you say, well, we've got to pay for that. Biggest problem is I come in, and if you've got two-hour parking till 10 o'clock, and the show starts at 7, and there's no way to pay for parking, or especially the semi-areas, I can't park there because I'm going to be over to two hours before it's 10 o'clock. Or there's no way to even put money in a meter in many places. Or if you do, there's limitations. It's not like when you get into the meter area where you can just, okay, I'll just pay the extra. That's it. So that's one area the city needs to work with. The other thing is, of course, establish zone areas that if a venue builds here, this is, and it's going to be noise oriented activity oriented. These are areas that they don't need to get special, special permits and things to have that. Let the, cut down the NIMBY. I actually live close to Blue Lamp. It's not a problem. <laughs> uh, and, and be able to make it easy to get permits. Do not try to get the permit process down. So the city is looking into the, maybe making it easier for, so people can park without worrying about. They can do, get venues like the Blue Lamp can get entertainment permits easy and kind of have areas where somebody moves in, they're just going to have to live with it or and enjoy it or don't move there. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good question. I think um, uh, I was talking with uh, someone, a former promoter who was saying, and Gabby, you referred to this blue lamp as getting more noise complaints than ever before. 
because there's more um, construction and new neighbors moving in. But I think also I hear a lot of complaints about uh, just, yeah, permitting, zoning, all, all of this. It's very hard to, to get permits. Um, I think it's interesting too, I hear a lot about parking because for our events too, people are like, well, what's the parking lot, uh, parking like? Although when I lived in San Francisco, New York, that never was an issue, although they had public transit. So I guess the questions for the panel is, I guess, permits, can that be simplified? Parking, is that an issue for people coming or not coming to your events? And can that be, and that, yeah, easing, easing, um, e making life easier for, the venues and the people who go. Uh, any thoughts on that? I think our, our public transportation in Sacramento needs to improve greatly to become the city that we all want to be or are even thinking that we are. We are so far behind the curve in, in public transportation. Uber and Lyft has helped Sacramento out in, in respects to that more than anything I have seen. I've been bartending in Sacramento for the last 15 years at the Limelight, Harlow's, Fanny Ann, Streets of London, all over. So um, I, our public transportation is horrible. Uh, we don't really have too much of a problem parking at the Blue Lamp. Um, we can't park in the hotels, but we have a, some street parking and some office buildings that are closed that um, people use their parking. So that hasn't really been an issue, but we're also far up. We're out of the parking issue. We're up at Alhambra, the Alhambra corridor. So parking when you're moving back downtown a little bit further um, can be, yeah, and until 10 p.m. it can, can be tricky too. Can you go back to the mic then so the podcast can listen? Thank you. I'm talking about like the, you go to the dive bar and you got a show at seven and where do you park? You know, meters aren't, won't even allow you to put in more than two hours, and you got to get there, and it cuts off at 10 at night. You know, or you go to the same situation to Torch. They got over, really screwy over by uh, Shine. And, uh, you know, just all this stuff when they went to this 10 p.m. really had no respect for what was going on with the uh, other. So it's, that's, what I'm talking about. Blue Lamp, I, I, can't, I live in East Sac. It's not a, there is not, I, in fact, I walk over there when I go. So, so it's not, but it's easy there. So for then the panelists, is parking, do you see that as a factor that sometimes hinders um, people coming to events? And for Jonathan, for the city, is that something that they hear about and something that's an issue that they're going to focus on? Uh, Scott. I, I say we deal, since we do uh, the majority of the live music concerts at the Crest, um, we deal with that every time we do a show at the Crest. Um, <clears throat> our, our audience is typically, oh, I don't know, 40, 45 and older, and so we, we find that lots of people don't want to come all the way downtown because they have trouble parking. <laughs> Um, so then we have. So then, conversely, the shows we do out in Folsom at the Harris Center on the Folsom Lake College campus, we have no issues with parking because they have tons of it, and everybody can park right next to the venue. Um, the other problem that I have as a promoter is getting city parking for touring vehicles, buses, vans, RVs that that need to park. 
Um, specifically at the Crest and Harlow's. They need to park in front or beside or behind the venue. And there is not, uh, there's not really an easy way to quickly do that when you're dealing with how many spaces do you need? One bus, two buses, three buses, you know, trailers, this much space, X, Y, Z. And it's, we've sort of figured out a way around it. I have a really talented production manager named John Oshima, and he has figured out a way so that I don't have to deal with it anymore. But, but leading up to that, it was horrendous uh, dealing with park, dealing with that side of parking, but, but also, uh, concert goers were having their own issues. We're really blessed at the Sophia, the B, the new B Street, because uh, Sutter Health has donated their parking garage, which is literally right behind the venue, which is really nice. The free parking at Sutter. I don't know about free, but it's there. Okay. Uh, Byron. I just want to chime in real quick on that, um, not to belabor the subject, but to me, the 10 p.m. parking thing is appalling. It's shameful, you know? Uh, it was not something the public voted on. It was shoved down our throats. It's very detrimental to the nightlife. Um, you know, like the gentleman was saying, you know, if I want to go check out a show, why should it be difficult for me to go to the show, yet we want to promote art in the city? Um, I've toured all over California. I've toured outside of California. I've not done my research on Google to say who has, you know, paid for parking after 10 p.m., but it sure as hell ain't San Francisco, you know? Like, we're looking at the biggest uh, economy in all of California. They know what they're doing. They got something right. We just played at the Independent the other night in uh, San Francisco. They got spots right in front of the club. Uh, make sure you park in tight. They put, like, seven, eight cars in there. They've worked that out with the city. To work. I mean, that's just one example. But I just think it's something that if you pulled the public you could probably get 98% of the public say, I don't want parking, you know, going till 10 p.m. like that. Uh, I, th I think it's really just cruel to the public. Yeah, and how many so games have the Kings won? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Except so, they, got, they so give tickets every time in front of Harlow's. So uh, before we move on to another question, Jonathan, I guess to put you on the hot seat, uh, I bet this is something you hear a lot, and this is something the city wants to address. Uh, can they? Can you do anything about it? Like, what's the thought about the issues about parking, um, getting uh, getting it, I guess, easier and more accessible for people to go to events? So, this is this is the three biggest things we've heard through this whole process is uh, access and equity, um, regulatory relief, um, and. Uh, more direct investment in individual artists. So regulatory relief really means um, making it easier to get permits from the city. Um, One-stop shopping is the goal. We're obviously not there yet, but we're talking about finding a way to one-stop shopping, um, making it easier, faster, um, having um, staff actually walk you through the process so you're not being asked to go to seven different departments, you actually go to one place, and that staff is responsible for actually making sure that all the T's are, are crossed so that you actually get your permit. And then as far as parking, um, obviously it is a big problem. Um, I'm not the parking guy. Um, okay. 
but I, but I will tell you that it's front and center and part of the conversations on how we make all of this more easier, especially in the center of city. All right. What I've got to move on to other questions because we're running on time. But thank you. All right. So next question. Uh, first, uh, well, first, thank you guys for taking the time to be on the panel. We can't make change without us having some kind of real dialogue. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, very quickly, my name is Benoit Shepard. Um, I am a director of Bigger Than Us Arts. I've been teaching public school for about 15 years. I'm also a founding member of Element Brass Band. Um, and an underlining mission pretty much that most things that I do is to encourage and actively promote positive forms of expression. And so um, as over the last seven years since Element started, we, uh, one of the things I like about the band is that we take music directly to the people. You can't run from it, you can't deny it. We walk up the street, we walk up to your house, and we do the same thing with Bigger Than Us Arts with arts opportunities. We take instruments to parks, we take these to the people where they really are so that we can find ways to help the community be able to express itself in a positive way. So for those of us who are actively doing that, I know ZFG and all, we've done a lot of stuff together. For those that are actively doing this, we are attempting to create a generation that can actually express themselves through the arts. But for those of us who've been doing it for a while, we feel like that in some ways we're setting them up to fail because we just, there's not, after high school, most places generally don't care anymore. Like, get out there, be somebody. It's the old um, graduate high school, good luck at life thing. Now, for this city and for the development of the youth, um, it's vital that we find some way to create some opportunities. We know there's deficiencies in, for people of color. And even looking at the policy we talked about today, no hip hop, no drumming. Those are huge things within the population that, that are here, like that, that are here on a regular basis. So how are we really going to allow this city to speak? Um, we have serious issues that are happening in this community. We, we, we know that. I'm not gonna talk about the violence and all those things that are happening. We know that they're there. But our remedy to deal with those things um, has always been arts. Regardless of time, history, country, location, wherever it was, it was always arts. But when it comes to actually activating our city in a way that allows it for us to develop the seed, cultivate it, and then let it bloom, there's nowhere for it to grow. So my question is, is how are we going to make it better tomorrow for the kids of today? Because we're teaching them to speak. We are, there's a lot of good work happening now for the youth, but where, where are we going to put them? Where can they go? And if they can't perform here, where they live, where they breathe, where they see their issues, then, then all we're doing is setting everybody up to fail. And, and so what, what can we do to kind of set, set a different direction? Paul. Hey, Benoit, appreciate you and all that you do. Um, I think one of the answers, because I think it's such a multifaceted issue that it requires kind of multi-layered responses um, across the board. But as the city's building uh, out the creative economy and, and all of those things, which is uh, an amazing initiative, um, where I think there are gaps in the scene, I think that that's where a lot of the education and stuff for our young people uh, can happen. So I'm thinking about how there's no like middle management in the, in the music scene here. There are no like managers, publicists, Nobody who's who's doing like social media um, 
uh, distribution or, or just that kind of work that like doesn't really exist here in Sacramento. And that's where I think a lot of the uh, like knowledge and information as to like how to make it as an artist in the music industry. Um, that's where uh, I'd like to see our young people empowered with that knowledge and information so that they can then help the scene kind of grow a little bit more. And um, it's one of the things that I've been talking about uh, with some of the creative economy folks is just about uh, professionalism um, as an artist, what it means to start up, uh, you know, your to get your business license as an artist and do business as um, an artist and, and all the benefits that can come with that, but also just keeping in mind like your taxes, your paperwork and all of that stuff. Um, a lot of our young people, they watch and, and, and they see what's happening on social media and they can identify with particular brands and they can do the branding thing really well, but they don't know the business side beyond I can create content. Right. So that's where I think that gap is and where folks like you who are doing this amazing work um, as as a creative, I think it's understanding um, I might be an excellent drummer, but I can also be an excellent business person, too. And that that's where I think that gap is. So I see a lot of faces of the panel turn towards me. So why don't we start uh, on Paul's right? Uh, and if any Gabby, if you have something to say and then start from. Yeah. Um, I would like to say that I think we are doing good with our youth. My child goes to a performing arts school here in Sacramento. It's been amazing. She's had so um, such great experiences that she would have never had. I think what Paul is saying about not having those jobs. Uh, I grew up in Sacramento. I've been here most of my 45 years. And as I was growing up, I just wanted out of Sacramento. Out, out, out. I moved to the Bay with my family as a teenager. I moved to L.A. And I was currently the production manager for a clothing company. I had a, a baby and wanted to move back to Sacramento so I could help, help. And there's just not jobs like that here in Sacramento. So in order to keep um, a vibrant, diverse music scene, I think it goes back to what Byron was saying, is that people are actually staying in Sacramento now, making it a city where people want to do this kind of work um, and supporting all ages venues. Soul Collective has been huge. Cafe Colonial and the Colony. Um, unfortunately, we have the old Gentleman's Club liquor license at the Blue Lamp, so we can't do anything besides 21 and over. Um, and it would cost a lot, a lot of money for us to change that. But we do support all the all ages venues and give them a place um, to, to do their art, whether it's uh, gallery work. Uh, my daughter's a visual artist, and um, so keeping the people in Sacramento that are going to create these jobs and these opportunities is really where we need to focus. Um, individual artists, um, you know, compensating them and making them feel worthy um, and appreciated and financially compensated will get them to stay in Sacramento. But when we don't have the support of Sacramento, um, we, we go elsewhere looking for it. I like to say at Blue Lamp, when we have a sold out show at Blue Lamp, it's not Sacramento. It's Napa, it's Modesto, it's Fresno, it's Chico, it's not Sacramento. You say that, you mean the people who are coming to this show. Sacramento doesn't sell out 150 people at the Blue Lamp, it's the surrounding people. You know, we have no problem selling out 20,000 at the Golden One Center, but we can't get 100 people in our doors on a Friday or Saturday night. You start losing little venues like ours. When I was growing up and in my young 20s, we had to wait all month for that one event in Sacramento to go to. And now we have multiple choices of the same genre of music. 
Uh, there'll be multiple punk rock or metal or hip hop shows in Sacramento in one night. We didn't have that when I was in my 20s here in Sacramento. So, um, so I think holding on to that, uh, the music scene in Sacramento has been a roller coaster and we are on an uptick right now. So if we can work towards it and support what we do have, um, as opposed to eating ourselves up, you know, we really have something here in Sacramento that, that will grow and be strong and, and last for generations. Scott? Um, well, I sort of want to echo um, what Paul was saying about the, the lack of middle management. Uh, you know, I kind of like that because I went to college here in Sacramento at Sacramento City College, and I got an associate's degree in music business. But I can tell you that what I learned in school was nothing compared to what I learned on the job, okay? And um, I was lucky enough and grinded hard enough that I was able to work for some small uh, record labels and management companies here in town that don't exist anymore. And, and then move on and do other things with other companies outside of Sacramento that allowed me to stay here and work remotely before I started SBL in 2009. And what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at is there needs to be an education at the scholastic level about how to actually make a living as a musician or as an artist, or as a promoter, or a music business person, or a venue manager, or whatever you want to be. And the problem is there's all this education, even in, in and around our town, in, at Sac State, UC Davis, the junior college systems, um, a lot of, lot of education about how to be the greatest horn player or the greatest guitar player, or even probably, I don't know this, but probably the greatest DJ at this point, but nobody teaches any of them at, that, at the high school or collegiate level, well, what do you do with yourself once, you, once, you know, once you've mastered your instrument or your craft or whatever it is you wanna do? There's no, there's no how do you go out there and make and make something of yourself now that you've learned how to do it. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what the solution to that is, but that's always been an issue to me um, because I, I get that same question when it comes to national touring acts. Well, hey, you're the, you're the promoter. Why can't we put this local band on the show? Well, if, if musicians understood more about the, the, the business and how, how the moving parts work, they'd understand and I wouldn't have to answer the question 50 times a month. Byron. Some smart people on this panel. Um, I would say, yeah, to kind of add to these things, it's never too young to educate somebody. And uh, I kind of, uh, you know, Benoit was saying, you know, we've taught these kids how to talk and speak and whatnot. How do we teach them how to succeed? And uh, really, we need these things to be in a curriculum. Benoit, he does more teaching than I've ever seen any teacher do. Like, he, he is just nonstop, go, go, go. But he can't do everything, you know? We need, you know, people, we need a whole staff, you know, doing these kinds of things. 
uh, Scott was wondering, you know, what's a solution for that? I think one of the solutions would be for Sacramento to invest in its future. You know, put some money into the schools, put some money into the arts. Benoit started uh, arts in schools that didn't have any arts. Some of them that he attended as a student, you know. So he took that on his own back and said, I'm going to do this. You know, we need that kind of support from the city. That's where the bread is. You know, say, hey, I'm, maybe we can't do it at every single damn school in the whole area, but we're going to, you know, look at some areas and say, we're going to put a music teacher here. We're going to put a music business teacher here. We're going to, you know, and just let it grow. Um, so, yeah, I would say that was one of the biggest things that I even kind of regret when I went to Berkeley College of Music. I was focused on just trying to play the saxophone. And uh, subsequently, kind of echoing what Scott said, you know, you learn in the field. But that being said, you can get a lot of guidance from a lot of people along the way. Some of the most successful people these days are these little child prodigy things. They're not just miracles that fell from the sky. They're getting guidance from a very young age from a lot of great sources. So I think that Sacramento needs to understand that and really pump in some funds with the right people. Do, do your research, hire the right people and get these kids going from, you know, grade school, you know, teach them about business in grade school, teach them about how to play in grade school, teach them how to succeed from the very beginning, all the way through high school, all the way through college. It shouldn't be, okay, now you've learned your horn or whatever it may be. Now you're 20 years old. Now we're going to teach you something about making money. Well, yeah, you're not going to start learning. Well, yeah, you're going to start learning then, but you know, you shouldn't have to get thrown into the pool to begin to learn, you know, that should be from the very beginning. So, I mean, that's not the only solution for the city to put in the funds. There's a lot of people like Benoit out there that will take it on their own back. But we need all that support. We need to understand that we're building something for the future, not just trying to uh, raise up what we already have. We have to look bigger than that and farther than that. And if I remember correctly, I think uh, the city of Sacramento or the, uh, the mayor announced this earlier this spring that there's like a quarter of a million dollar funding to start hopefully with more to come to fund more arts in the I guess Sac City Unified School District so it might be a drop in the bucket but it's it's a start and so based on what you've heard Jonathan um, thoughts or anything that people have said that ah yes we're, we're looking at this mm -hmm. we're thinking about it yeah thank you so a couple of thoughts on all of this one is um, the mayor did announce with thick with 13 uh, school district superintendents in mid-May, actually here in this room, um, that uh, with his leadership, we're launching a, an arts education consortium for the 13 contiguous school districts in Sacramento. Um, so the goal is sequential standards-based arts education in all of the schools. Keeping in mind that the city doesn't do that, it's actually the school districts that are supposed to do that, but using the bully par pulpit of the mayor, um, working with uh, the Region Foundation, um, there's the intent is over the next few years to actually invest or reinvest um, to get back to where we were pre-Prop 13. Um, that takes five to seven years now a little bit longer. LA went through this about 20 years ago uh, with relatively good success. Um, Sac City uh, did um, commit to stepping up 
to being um, the first one to take it on in a serious way, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and just to clarify, arts education is being defined not as um, specifically traditional um, music, visual, um, and dance, but also multimedia arts, et cetera. So that's great. Um, the other thing that I wanted to go, that I wanted to respond to, however, is I couldn't agree more um, that um, providing technical assistance and business tools, and um, on a personal level, um, that's part of the reason why my job was created. Um, my, I don't just function in the arts world or the arts community, I actually function inside economic development and the job is to actually um, access, access those resources for small business um, um, that is already available inside economic development uh, to bring to you all. Um, you already have access to it, but nobody at City Hall has necessarily been communicating it in that way, that you're actually small businesses, you're en entrepreneurs, um, and you need to be respected and seen as, as a vital part of the overall economy of the city, and you need the same type of support as the tech sector. And we're putting a lot of investment in the tech se sector, we need to put, be putting the same kind of investment in uh, creative economy. So um, I'll be really, I, I still can't say a lot until this plan is passed, but um, I'll be really excited to start to work with you all about really accessing some of these resources we haven't done very strategically in the past. So in the, in the interest of time, since we are getting up on the eight o'clock mark, I know there's two more people at the mic. Okay, just one more person at the mic. But uh, all right, so next question. And Hello, good evening. My name uh, so my name is Lizzie Coyle, and I've been raising money for nonprofit causes for my whole career, and I'm new to Sacramento, so I wanted to learn how, if, and when private philanthropy comes into your work, how you leverage that kind of individual investment, um, and if there are any nonprofits we should be thinking about looking at or supporting here in the city, because I do think that civic investment, it goes a ways, but the cities that have the best art scenes are generally funded by wealthy patrons, so love to hear your thoughts. Right, the city can only do so much, um, but yes, what about corporate or uh, uh, individual philanthropy? How does that play into the music scene? Who would like to start? Gabby. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Sacramento invest in its art and music scene. Uh, I would like to uh, hope that the city puts um, time and energy into our marginalized and less fortunate communities, more interest. I feel like our privileged communities um, see a lot more of that availability to them. I feel like the city overall could um, do really well investing in some of that. I own the Blue Lamp. We're a small little venue. I, I have said many times before, I don't think anyone's ever asked us to do a fundraiser for anything, and we have said no. Um, I think in this next month, we probably have like four fundraisers coming up. Um, I'd like to say I'm a philanthropist and not a small business owner because um, we like to use what we have to help the community. Even First Fest did a pre-party there. ZFG's done things um, with BLM Sacramento, Autism Awareness, a huge organization like American Heart Association as well, individual um, people in bad health who have passed away from our music community. 
I mean, anything and everything. We just did a fundraiser for um, a small punk rock band. His wife just had a double lung transplant. Um, so uh, I think that we struggle to stay alive at Blue Lamp. I think that people think me and Ben go home and sit on our stacks of money, but we, we don't. <laughs> um, we have two teenage daughters at home, and we, we, people are like, oh, you on the Blue Lamp. And then I like to say I'm also the janitor and the bartender and the booking agent. I'm also the accountant. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into that. So uh, I think having even something like that be an option for anything within our music community is new to Sacramento. Um, I like to say the last time I was in the Bay Area is the first time I was in the Bay Area. And when I told them I was from Sacramento, they didn't look like they smelled poo. You know, I got a much different response. It was like, oh, my friends just moved there. I heard it was really cool. So um, I think Sacramento investing in itself and building itself up as opposed to eating itself up. And I, hopefully with the influx of people and the type of people moving here, we'll be able to support ourselves. And I'd like to go back to say about the hip hop and the drumming and the venues and not supporting that. It comes from the city. So the venues that do do work with with hip hop and and rap of different, um, there is pressure from the city. So these venues are making decisions, not just because they don't like black people or they don't like hip hop. It's because they're afraid they're gonna lose their businesses. I've been fighting it for five years. Um, and, and when the police show up to the blue lamp and um, there's people of color there and they get anxious or feel tense, I just tell them they're not here for you, they're here for us and we're not doing anything wrong. We're just doing music. So it doesn't matter if there's white kids or black kids or Mexican kids in the venue, um, but it does overall feel like Sacramento does have a problem with people of color and the arts. Um, so that's what I've experienced. So I would really like to see us put money and time and energy into the margin marginalized communities, make them feel welcome and wanted to be a part of our community. Uh, by far, the rap and hip hop shows pay our bills. They come out, they spend money, they pay. They don't, you know, they work hard and they take their money and enjoy themselves. And there's no reason why they should feel like, um, you know, and people have said, oh, well, the bad elements or the shootings. And I've had people say, if you keep doing rap and hip hop, there's bound to be a, a problem. Well, if we keep doing metal, there's bound to be a problem. You keep getting 200 people together and getting them somewhat drunk, there's gonna be a problem. Yeah. Um, we, prob we actually don't have a lot of problems at the Blue Lamp because we don't have a lot of cross culture. Usually whoever's there is there to see the music or the acts. Um, but some of these other bigger nightlife, just venue type dance clubs where you get mixed genres and cross-contamination, I used to call it at Limelight, that's where problems occur. So we work really closely with the city of Sacramento to make them feel comfortable with what we do, um, with, the, with the police department, the E-team, um, and we go to all the entertainment permit meetings that are quarterly uh, to make sure that we're within our guidelines. But uh, I know bands and artists want to feel appreciated financially compensated in Sacramento. And as a venue, they look to me to do this. But if I'm not getting, I don't have the money because I'm paying the permits or redoing this or the fire department's in, it's gonna be $5,000 to do that. And we're, 
you know, the, the ghost ship fire and all that in Oakland, I understand, but we get fire inspections every year. There's places in Sacramento that are, you know, the city's not concentrating on where problems could happen. Instead of supporting venues who are running above board and legitimate businesses, and it feels like we're looked down upon, um, you know, so I just wanted to say that. And I think that the nonprofit help, because that is where um, art gets funded from. And I also am a coach for, you know, little girls soccer and basketball, and the funding comes from there. We're not getting it from the city, we're not getting it from the schools, so. Thank you. Uh, and I'm going to let Byron uh, go next because after this, I I'm, we have another uh, musical act afterwards, and I think you're part of it. So I'm going to. I think you are. So let me. I'm going to. It's going to be last word. Obviously, this is our last question. So I'll let Byron start, and then we'll have other other people speak up. So Byron, you want to add to that? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, to kind of tie into what Gabby was saying. Um, I do think we need more from the city. Um, I don't know what other better word to use, but protection, you know, we need the city to put this stuff in writing. You know, we were talking about busking before and no disrespect to Jonathan, but it's like that was a very vague description that you gave us about like, OK, well, this is what you can do. But these are all the reasons why you might not be able to do that. That doesn't work for us. You know, that just leaves people in confusion. We need something in writing from the city of Sacramento signed by the mayor saying, you can do this at these locations at this time. We will not mess with you. And just put it point blank. Uh, that's just for busking. In terms of that, you know, we, yeah, people brought up, I'm, I never really had to deal too much with permits, but I'm trying to start up doing my own events and things like that. We need, you have this idea of wanting this beautiful place. I've heard uh, cities like Seattle and Austin brought up, well, in San Francisco, if you want these things, you have to follow their business model. You have to follow what is working, not just the idea of it, you know, and it's great PR for the mayor to go out and beat on some buckets and busk with the people, but no, you want that, make it happen. Put it in writing, send it out to the artists. Give us, give me my copy so I can take it out there with my band and I can say, no officer, I have the right to play here because the mayor said so, okay? Um, and to just kind of wrap things up, I could talk on that for a while, it got me heated. Um, but, um, yeah, with the private funding, um, I think that's fantastic. Um, whether it be non-profit, uh, whether it be, um, just, uh, a wealthy individual in the community, I don't have all the answers for that, but I can speak from my experience of going to school in Boston. Um, something that I've never experienced at the schools out here. I don't know that it doesn't exist, but they had the most, it's, yeah, it's one of the biggest music schools in the world, but, uh, they had the most extensive, uh, scholarship and funding programs that I've ever seen for music and um, you could go there and they would literally give you I think at the time it was like a binder I'm sure it's all in you know on the computer now but you go there and you could look through this massive binder and all kinds of different opportunities for you to get money from someone. It could be because you play saxophone. It could be because I was from California. It be, could be because I was a woman. It could be because, I'm not a woman, but you know what I'm saying? Like is, any, 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 anything you could think of, uh, if you're a flute player, if you were poor, if you were from out of the country, you know, and they had every type of scholarship and funding that you could possibly think of. I think that we need that kind of thing, whether it be in the schools, uh, whether it be from the city. We need to create 
that kind of opportunity for these um, people to fund these opportunities. Yeah, there's a lot of people uh, that got bread. They might just be at the casino spending that bread because they don't know where else to put it, you know? So if you give them that opportunity, give them that platform that says, okay, you know, and appeal to them, seek them out, bring those wealthy people out to some of these city council meetings or whatever you, whatever uh, town hall kind of venue you want to make it. Say, okay, here's your opportunity. Did you grow up? Did you have a family member that played piano or something? You want to invest? Okay, you know, help us put pianos all over the schools. You know, whatever it might be. I could go all, all kinds of examples, but I think it has to be organized like that. You can't just say we want private funding. Okay, maybe somebody will hear that message. Put that out, you know, make that one of your creative economy kind of things. Say, okay, well, we're, we're going to give this money to the artist or wherever you want to. Those are great ideas, and I love it. I applied for one. Some of my buddies here got some of those great grants. Next could be, hey, we are specifically appealing to those that want to fund in all kinds of different facets in the community. And that could be an opportunity to just the city can bring in a lot of that bread from outside sources. Boom, you got an organized thing to do that with. So one suggestion that I have. Uh, all right, so uh, it's 8.10. How about, I'm going to let Jonathan, I'm not going to let you talk, because you're going to be talking on Tuesday, next Tuesday, right? Uh, a lot, if not all, of this will be encapsulated. But I'm going to have one last word from someone who wants to close it out with something they has not been covered or just really wants to emphasize this point. So I'm going to pick one of you. Or how about 50-50, Danielle, Paul. You, who goes first? Paul's going to go first. And then Danielle, last word from you. Hi. So um, I, I come from the nonprofit sector too. Um, and what I've kind of seen and experienced is uh, when you have folks who, who want to give, uh, there's a con a connectivity piece where they don't know like where to give or um, they want to make sure that their investment um, has a certain level of impact or that you can like double down on that level of impact maybe it's like uh, you, you want to kind of raise money for someone who is doing something beneficial for someone else right and I think that uh, uh, in order for them to kind of know who those folks are, what those projects are that are coming from artists, uh, they've got to come out to experience a lot of that stuff. Um, and I know that for, for some folks, that's like not in their comfort zone. Uh, I've been in rooms with some of the like big money players in Sacramento. And I'm like, hey, like this is who I am. I'm out doing shows. I'm in the community. They never come out to that kind of stuff. Right. So it's, it's not that they don't appreciate the arts, um, but if they don't get a chance to kind of experience what that magic is like on a street corner, then you're going to miss some really amazing opportunities to fund programs like um, Soul Collective and all of the amazing youth work that they do there um, kind of centered and focused on on artists. Um, so so that's that's my recommendations, like invite them out uh, for those people who are kind of those like middle management players, right? Um, invite your boss or whoever is the CEO or CFO or COO uh, and, and bring them out to a show. Have them experience that kind of local art that they may not necessarily be getting otherwise so that uh, when you propose ideas um, that you think that they might be interested in investing in, uh, there's a way to kind of bridge that gap. There's also this like nonprofit event planning like circle that happens where they like invite a lot of the same people to a lot of the same galas fundraisers the same companies and organizations are giving money to a variety of different causes and all that's amazing 
And as somebody who's been to like a lot of those, there's not a lot of arts actually involved in the process for those events. So like, um, you know, a, a place where I used to work, uh, they had a fundraising event at the Golden One Center. Um, and I brought up the idea of having a live band, you know, just perform at the event. And it was so like new and different. People were like, they had that look. They had that, they had that look of like, how is this gonna work? This is so crazy. And it really wasn't actually that crazy, um, but it was a way to kind of support local artists, connect them with some folks in the room and kind of make some magic happen after that. So um, I think that's that's that piece. If, if you wanna see more arts um, in, in that way or, or you wanna see kind of those donors connected with the art scene, we've gotta be that bridge because we walk in both spaces. All right, Danielle, last word. Yeah, I guess I'll just um, end with just a comment on like what it means to have Sacramento local music. And I think when I, when I hear that, I think um, advocacy and I think that we all have a footprint in this community that we can use to uh, kind of move this Sacramento art scene and Sacramento music scene forward and to use your footprint is really the most important thing you can do, whether you're just hearing something you like and then telling your friends about it or sharing it on social media, which is literally the laziest way you can share a thing on the planet, but it's also very impactful. <laughs> no offense to Facebook chronic sharers, that's fine. Um, but I think just using your footprint, we all have this voice and it's, it's really important that if we like something, we tell someone about it. Sacramento is notorious for keeping secrets. This is something I know about, and this is uh, my little thing, or um, this is our group's thing, and we're not gonna share it. And I, I understand that, but the only way we're gonna get Sacramento music out, and we're gonna get people talking about it, is if we use, we lose that, and we start telling everybody that we can. And we say, this is important to us, and other people will say, you know what, it's important to me. And it'll be part of the conversation, and we'll have more people showing up, and willing to spend $5, $10, $20 on a local music, um, or a local arts show, which they're mixing now. You see poetry and art and music on the same bill all the time now. And so, just use your footprint because our voices are the most powerful things we have. So that's just what I have to say. <laughs> that's great. I know we could go on and on and on, right? And actually, the podcast we're going to end, but here in this room, uh, we still have a little more to do. We have a, a door prize drawing for Harlow's and then live music from uh, some of the greatest musicians we have here in Sacramento. So there's still can can cocktails, Rustaller beer, water. So uh, please don't leave. We still, the party's just started. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up for the podcast. Thank you, panelists, very much for this great discussion. Thank you all for sticking around. Have a good night. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's pop-up panel conversation about Sacramento's music scene was held on June 25th, 2018 in the auditorium at Clara Performing Arts Center in Sacramento. Thanks to our panelists, Scott Brill-Lynn, Byron Colborn, Gabrielle Garcia, Jonathan Gluce, Paul Willis, and Danielle Vincent. A special thanks to Todd Morgan, the Dirty Chops Brass Band, and the Element Brass Band, who played live at our event, and lent us the songs you hear while listening to this podcast. Also thanks to Barbara Morgan, 
Jose Oritz, Matt and Amanda Kennedy, and the staff at Clara for putting on this event. To Roostaller Beer and Can Can Cocktails, both of Sacramento, for providing the drinks. To our event volunteers, Nicole Grant Creege, Trina Lee, Zach Miller, and Rod Ramirez for making the event run smoothly. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. <laughs>